Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me, as always, is Sir Charles Snackletooth III. Mm, hello, Travis. How are you today? <laughs> I expected you to have, like, that uh, nasally um, Monty Python voice, like, I am Sir Charles Snaggletooth. Mm, I started to do that, but I thought it would be more appropriate to do more of a Megatron voice from Beast Wars. <laughs> How are you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How are you? I'm How fine. Are you uh, <laughs> This has become a, a highlight of our episodes for me anyway, because it gives me a chance to uh, stretch my voice acting skills. That's cool. That's cool. I'm glad that I can give you the practice that you need. <laughs> <laughs> not not that I'll ever use it, but still, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, um, I'm doing fine. I can't really complain a whole lot, but under... A moderate amount of stress, but it's mainly just been work stress. So that will pass. Yeah. Yeah. I understand work stress. Well, we've got a really long episode, I think, uh, today. So uh, we're going to try to keep it as concise and moving forward as possible. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into the news for this week. Cue the beady beady. Cue the beady beady. All right, so the first bit of news we are going to cover is the results from the previous Kaiju Clash. If you have... Do we have to? Yes, we have do, to. Do we have to? Yes. Do we have to? Yes. Do, okay, okay, so so here's my thing. Travis, I'm just really not feeling it today. And mm. Mm. I, I just... I, I think we should, what we should do is we should skip the news portion entirely and go straight into our main topic discussion. How about, how, what do you think? Yeah. Okay. I feel you. I feel you. Let's do that. Um, so Clover won in the Kaiju clash <laughs> against Zilla. <laughs> I'm not letting you get away with this. No, no. We are talking about this because after a string of defeats in Kaiju Clash, a game that I invented for this podcast uh, to do when we didn't have a lot of news stories to cover or mailbag uh, letters to read out. I have finally won again. It feels so good. I feel vindicated. My perfect streak is over. It was never perfect because I won the very first one. That one doesn't count. <laughs> We were still testing the format. That one doesn't count. Besides, I'm going to be petitioning the fandom anyway for a recount on this one, on this vote. So, nope. There you go. Nope. Now, I will say, uh, for anybody who's not aware, uh, Kaiju Clash is where we pit two kaiju against each other. One of us picks one side, one of us picks the other one, and we debate it out, and then we leave it up to our listeners to vote. Uh, on polls on our social media. So, looking at the results from the polls now, Facebook, it was kind of, it was close. It was close. We had it was thirty nine to thirty eight. Uh, so there was only one vote off on on it, and Clover, but Clover won. But now, as far as Twitter is concerned, sixty five percent of the votes went to Clover. So, 
I don't trust the polls. Yeah, yeah, you don't trust them whenever whenever you're losing, but but I don't trust the polls. No, these polls are incorrect. I don't trust them. Our listeners are smart and intelligent, and they just finally felt enough pity for me that they decided to give me a win. <laughs> okay, well, I'll give you that one. I'll give you that one. So that is uh, that's the results from our kaiju clash. Clover won uh, by. Uh, it, it was 54 votes to 46. He won over Zilla, the 1998 Godzilla. In all honesty, I'm a little bit surprised uh, that it was as close as it was. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I honestly thought that uh, Clover would have actually uh, won by a bigger margin than that. Mm, I don't know, because there's a lot of... Uh, G98 fans out there, surprisingly. Uh, so it, it didn't really surprise me that much that that Clover won, but it didn't also it also didn't surprise me that much that there was a uh, it was a closer race than we expected or the, than what you might have initially thought. Um, but yeah, so that's that's all we have to say about that. We're going to do another Kaiju Clash in a future episode, so stay tuned for that. Oh, we will. Oh, we will. Oh, yeah, and I think I think it's time for you to pick the next the next uh, combatants in our kaiju clash. And I've already got a good one too. Uh, I got one in mind. Oh, oh, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for the right opportunity for it to be Digby the giant dog <laughs> versus Clifford. <laughs> oh, it's well, coming, can... listeners. It's coming. We will finally I can guarantee settle. You... I can guarantee you that my next one will not be that <laughs> uh, because, because neither one of those are kaiju. Just throwing that out there. Um, Digby is a kaiju. Now, I will give it to you. Now, I, I believe Clifford is a kaiju, but you, there is no argument about Digby. Digby is a giant dog that rampages and destroys things and the military tries to take him down. That is a kaiju. <laughs> Okay, so, Travis, don't we have some more serious news to get into? Yes, we do. We talked about how we were going to make this episode more concise, and then we're spending a lot of time talking about Digby, the biggest dog in the world, who is a kaiju. Um, He's not a kaiju. (laughs) So, continuing on with the news, uh, our main news story that we're going to talk about this week is... In celebration of 1 million subscribers to the Ultraman official channel, a new series, Ultra Galaxy Fight The Absolute Conspiracy, will be released on YouTube this winter. And they released, they announced this with a trailer on the YouTube channel. I have seen the trailer. The trailer looks, the trailer looks fantastic. Uh, I'm super excited for this mini series and yeah, not a whole lot is known about this at the moment. At least to my knowledge, there's not a whole lot known about it. It's pretty fresh. Um, I saw some rumblings about it on the Twitters, uh, the other day and yeah, I I finally watched the trailer and it looks, it looks really great. I'm excited. So if anyone's not aware, now this is um, uh, Ultraman 
and and Tsuburaya has been doing these mini series uh, that have been on YouTube. And in 2019, they did the first in this series of or in these mini series called Ultra Galaxy Fight New Generation Heroes. And it did really well. And so it, it hit, uh, I think that series gained more than 40 million views within the 10 months. Um, and then, uh, and then it had a hundred million views in China alone. So that's, I haven't watched that series. It is on my watch later, um, queue on YouTube now because I was not even aware of it until this announcement. Same. Yeah, it's same for me. It's it's in my watch uh, watch later queue as well. Yeah, but this um, the absolute conspiracy uh, Ultra Galaxy fight the absolute conspiracy is a sequel to that, and is continuing on that series. So um, it's uh, I'm reading off the information that's on the website. The Ultraman Galaxy official North American website says the eagerly awaited sequel to New Generation Heroes titled Ultra Galaxy Fight the Absolute Conspiracy will begin simultaneous broadcasting on YouTube in the winter of 2020 to celebrate the channel reaching 1 million subscribers. Together, the 10 episodes will add up to about 90 minutes in total and will be packed with terrific drama and exciting action. Each episode will be released weekly in both Japanese and English dubbed versions which if you go onto their website and see what they what they did for the uh first series um new generation heroes the way they did it was they released these like 10 minute episodes and there was like you know 10 to 12 of them um and then they released another that combined all of them together into like a one hour long thing um, or however long it was. So you can actually just watch it as one long movie if you want to. Now, wait, we do know, we do know some of the story that's going to be in this, um, because the official release has, uh, a little snippet about the story. Sure. So that says mysterious aliens and, and evil aliens that shouldn't exist are attacking Zero reboot or rebut. I don't know how he says how do you say that. Uh, Taiga Z eighty Max Mebus Great Powered Grigio or yeah Grigio Grigio. I don't know how you say that. That's the Ultra Woman's name. It's like oh, it's a really cool looking Ultra Woman uh, character mm-hmm. that if you see mm-hmm. in the trailer, it's kind of like a orangish gold color. Yes, I yeah, she does look awesome. Yeah. Um, anyway, so all of them and many more ultra heroes must join forces, fight together, and solve this mysterious case, which could end up affecting the whole universe. However, this is the only this is only the beginning. A conspiracy is underway, and the threads of it are intersecting. What is the aim of the golden giant working in the shadows? The storyline will connect directly with the all-new Ultraman Z series, or Ultraman Z, uh, where the latest chapter of the epic history of Ultraman begins. Interesting. Yeah, so it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. There's a lot of Ultraman, a lot of different Ultraman characters that's going to be showing up in it, and uh, the villain for it. So uh, we're gonna ha- we're gonna see uh, Belial in it, but there's a new villain which is called conspiracy tartarus i think yeah or absolute tartarus absolute tartarus yeah yeah, it's absolute tartarus it's um yeah it's definitely interesting and it kind of reminds me of juggler 
a little bit. Yeah, um, he does kind of have like a juggler, juggless um, kind of look to him. Yeah, he does. And I want to ask you, Travis, I was sitting here thinking, we're getting so much Ultraman. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're getting, we've been getting so, we've been getting all, so much Ultraman for over the last year or so. Do you think there's ever going to come a time when we're just going to get sick of Ultraman? Um, I mean, it's possible, but for right now, I'm not, I'm not getting sick of it. No, I'm not either. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've been enjoying myself. I'm just, I, I say that sort of tongue in cheek. Uh, I don't think there's really going to come a time where we get tired of Ultraman, but yeah, we, we I have I been think, getting a lot of it. Oh yeah, we definitely have. I think, I think it's possible that there's an oversaturation, but at the same time, it's like they're making up for the 50 years that America and and most people in the world just didn't have access to Ultraman. Right. So right. It, like they're just like spoiling us now. And and to be fair, I mean, from an American standpoint, the amount of content that we're getting uh, seems is minuscule compared to what you know has already been released overseas right yeah and and with these japanese series like this is what they do they will really they'll have a series going they'll have specials they'll have mini episodes and then they'll have a movie all in the same year that they have the new the series running so it's like they are they don't have um limited uh like releases like they do you know in japan like they they go full on with everything that they do with every series they they put out there's always a ton of content that comes with it yeah and i'm i'm super thankful that they do that because it's been a man it's been a wild ride so far honestly uh, you know, just consuming all the Mill Creek stuff. And now we're getting this really unique opportunity where we're watching in sort of real time, uh, Ultraman Z, um, on YouTube with, along with the rest of the world. And it's just, it's a good time. It's a really good time to be an Ultraman fan. It's a really good time to be just a fan of Tokusatsu and Japanese, um, programming in general, because we're getting exposed to so much of it. Yeah. Now I do want to mention one more thing about this um this special that's coming or the special mini series that's coming. Um it is going to be directed by Koichi Sakamoto uh who directed Ultraman uh, Ultra Galaxy Fight New Generation Heroes so the last series. Um he's going to be he's it says he'll continue to be the man behind the megaphone for our newest series. He is well known for his work in popular hero and action series in the United States, both as a director and executive producer in Japan. Okay. He directed mega monster battle ultra galaxy, the movie, which is the movie that we watched. Um, me and you and Nathan, uh, watched yes. that movie together. It was the first appearance of Belial. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a, whoa, that was, yeah. That yeah. Was, that was something. That was something. Yeah. So that's the movie that he directed. And then he directed also this mini series that came before this. And now he's directing this one. So, sure. um, yeah, I, it's, it, I'm really looking forward to this. I've got to go back and watch the, the previous one. And I'm sure we're probably going to have to rearrange our schedule for the podcast for this winter, because I would really like to review this. Um, on the podcast. Yeah. That's what I was sitting here thinking too. Um, I know we've been sort of on this ultra journey, but we've been sort of stuck in this classic 1966 Ultraman 
Right. And I, I, I kind of want to, I kind of want to branch off into the more contemporary stuff because the contemporary stuff is a lot of fun too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to sort of know the roots of where it all started. Um, but I don't want to neglect some of the, some of the stuff that we've been watching like Z and I know we've been trying to put out some content for Z. Uh, it's been sort of sporadic because you know, it's, it's where we only can watch, we can only watch these in what two weeks. Like they're only available for what, two weeks Mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. And so, you know, getting notes together for those episodes and putting out information on that, along with all the other stuff that we're trying to put them along with the other content we're trying to put out is difficult. So it may end up being, we, we may need to go back and rewatch some of this, uh, as sort of a, as a whole and not try to take it up, not try to take it piece by piece. But I said all that to, to confirm what you said that yes, we probably should rearrange our schedule just a little bit to accommodate some of this more, uh, contemporary Ultraman stuff that we're getting just to, just so that we're staying current. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and really, and my initial idea and I'll, I mean, this is letting the, the, listeners know how the sausage is made but um my (laughs) my initial thoughts on why we were covering the 1966 series uh episode by episode was because it's the original one it's the one that you know we want to get everyone familiar with if you're not familiar with ultraman you know you can follow Mm -hmm. along with us um and then the plan was always to, once we finished that series, was to move forward and start just covering the series as a whole and move into some of the more contemporary ones, like you said. Sure. Um, it's just that we haven't gone through the Ultraman 66 series as fast as I expected us to because other movies and other things have come up that we wanted to review. And sure. so, uh, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to rearrange things and and start covering these more contemporary series before expected, um, before I expected to. But we do have coming up in just a couple of weeks. I will go ahead and give a, a hint to this. We do have an Ultraman series that is a more modern Ultraman uh, coming up in a couple of weeks, and we're gonna have a special yep. guest to help us cover that. So we sure do look forward yep, sure to do. that. I'm looking for. I am. I am too. That's what I was. I was. That was just what I was getting ready to say. I'm looking forward to that episode, um, and I'm looking forward to having our guest on for that. Now, I will say that you know this this particular guest is a little, yeah. It's, mm. He's he's a, he's a little interesting. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. I know he. I know he listens to this show, and so I can say that. Uh, he let's just say he's special. He's special. He's real special. Real special. So. Um, but yeah, so so <laughs> so going back to this thing about this this ultra galaxy fight, the absolute conspiracy. Now I will uh-huh. I will include uh, the link in the show notes to the website for um for ultramangalaxy.com, which is the website, the official website for North America. Uh, for all Ultraman content. So you can read the announcements and stuff there and read more information. They also have a special YouTube video that is Ultraman, the original Ultraman, uh, sharing the golden play button uh, in the video and showing how they have reached 1 million subscribers and thanking everyone for that. So that was a real special video that they put out as well. Yeah, I saw that this morning. Um, and yeah, I agree. It's it's super special. It's it's really interesting. Yeah. I'm just 
it's it's just really interesting about how how popular, at least from our perspective as giant monster tokusatsu fans, uh, Ultraman has gotten over the past year. Yeah, and, and it's really fascinating to me how much Subaraya as a company and Ultraman as a franchise really cares about their fans because they're really doing a lot to uh, to they're they're putting out so much stuff like we were talking about. And it's all for the fans because, you know, they want to see the fans enjoy this. They want to see more people become fans. It's like, well, you know, one of the reasons why. And, and we talk about, we've talked about, like, why they went with Marvel comics to make that the um, Ultraman Rises uh, uh, comic book. And, you know, how some people were not. Ultraman. Yeah. Some people were not um, so happy about it going with Marvel, but it's like, but they're trying to reach as many people as they can. And Marvel is, has the, has the capacity to reach people that other comic book companies just don't. And so and I had to eat my, I had to eat my shoe a little bit. As my dad would say, <laughs> uh, I had to eat my shoe a little bit, and I was one of those on the ini- when when the when the first when the initial news came out, I said no. How dare Marvel take on Ultraman? They're just gonna screw it up, just like Disney screwed up Star Wars. And here I sit, already pre-ordered issue one, and I've already pre-ordered issue two. So, yep. <laughs> yep. I know. I know. It's just, but that, but that's what I was getting at was the fact that the Subaraya and, and Ultraman, you know, as a franchise, they want to reach as many people as possible. They want to bring in new fans. They want people to enjoy this content that they're creating, not just a small niche group to enjoy it, which has really the only, you know, outside of Japan, it's only been the small niche group that's really known or enjoyed Ultraman up until now, but they're trying to broaden out. And I just, I I think that's great. I like that. So let's move into our main topic for this week. All right, I'm ready. So we asked a trivia question last week that uh, hinted to what this week's topic was going to be. And the trivia question was, what giant monster film is referenced in the opening song of the Rocky Horror Picture Show? And surprisingly, I forgot that that question wasn't specific enough. And there was actually multiple answers to that one. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I listened to it. My I went back and listened to it myself, and yeah, I, I yeah, yeah. So um, let's look at the answers that we got. So we got from Monster Island Film Vault podcast. We got Godzilla versus King Ghidorah two. Let's do the time warp again. <laughs> let's do the time warp again. Yeah, it works perfectly for Godzilla versus King Ghidorah. <laughs> It absolutely does. Uh, Jimmy from NASA said, Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> Close, but no cigar. Uh, Giant Monster BS said, Pixels. I'm surprised they didn't say Monsters, Inc. <laughs> <laughs> we love you guys at the Mon- uh, Giant Monster BS. You guys are fun. I love it. I love the answers you guys give us. Um, the Aqua Slug on Twitter uh, gave us a line from the song saying, Leo G. Carroll was over a barrel when Tarantula took to the hills. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to sing when there's no tune to like keep you on track. but uh, Or when your co-host doesn't really know the words of the song. Yeah, yeah. it's really hard. Yeah. 
Uh, Sam Perrin, our uh, previous guest to the podcast and our favorite resident ecologist, um, Mm -hmm. uh, said Day of the Triffids or King Kong. He also mentioned... Thank you, Sam. Yep. Thank you, Sam. Uh, He also mentioned that uh, Brad is also very tall, so maybe Brad counts as the the kaiju. (laughs) uh from from rocky horror you haven't seen rocky horror picture show so i have i it's i will say that i like little shop of horrors better yeah i i i don't disagree with that um i do think the music in uh rocky horror picture show is better i like the music better in that one but i do like the movie and the and the play and everything from uh little shop of four is better but that's neither here nor there uh gamera on twitter sent us in king kong gamera said king kong hmm 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 okay uh guy mclemore mclemore uh (laughs) at couch guy on twitter said king kong obviously but also tarantula uh and then he also said Tarantula is definitely a giant monster film. And it is. And Guy. I'm go ahead. I'm seeing a theme with some of these answers, uh, Travis, that kind of lends to what you said about not being specific enough. Yeah, I should have done the giant ape movie, not giant monster movie. Because there was multiple giant monster movies uh listed in that in that song. So um but yeah, he said that Tarantula is definitely a giant monster film. And yes, guy, it is. And yes, we will cover it on the podcast at a future date. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and then Yojimbo65 also gave us the um, the lyrics to the song. I knew Leo G. Carroll was over a barrel when Tarantula took to the hills. But then something went wrong for Fay Ray and King Kong. They got trapped in a celluloid jam. <laughs> uh i can't sing so excuse me <laughs> i don't know the words or else i would do it for you Travis. um cliff allen said king kong jeffrey randolph said tarantula davy on instagram said king kong and day of the triffids are both mentioned in it uh it came from a monster movie so henry uh, from the It Came From a Monster Movie podcast, said Tarantula for sure. Then you got Day of the Triffids and King Kong 2. So, yep, he's uh, he, he listed all three of them. And then my favorite answer from this week, Nick Blackler, who said Yeti of the 20th Century. <laughs> and he even included the lyrics <laughs> that are included from that song. Said, uh, uh, Phoenix Grant's little dimples, the Yeti's freaky nipples. Unfortunately, and then he said, unfortunately, these lyrics were cut. I can't sing it. I'm sorry, Nick, if I could sing it. Let me try. Um, let's see. Uh, um, uh, what's it? What's it? Uh, shoot. I'm trying to remember the, the tune. Okay. I'm going to cut all this out. Don't worry. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to cut it out so I can take my time. Cut it out. Phoenix Grant's little dimples, the Yeti's freaky nipples. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm singing that right. I, I need I need the song to play in the background for me to to hear it, uh, to do it. But uh, he, he uh, Nick also went on to say, unfortunately, these lyrics were cut and replaced with a couple of lines about some giant ape. 
<laughs> and Nick also let us know that he finally caught up on our episodes. And so he can finally start uh, answering our trivia questions each week again. And oh, great. We are I know so Nick, happy. <laughs> Nick is one of our uh, most faithful fans and we appreciate it. And I love hearing his funny answers. He always gives funny answers. So we are so glad that you're back to answering the trivia questions, Nick. Um, but yeah, so our main topic for this week is King Kong from 1933, directed by Miriam C. Cooper, co-directed by Ernest B. Schutzak. Schutzak? Close enough. Schutzak. Uh, starring Faye Ray, Robert Armstrong, Bruce Cabot. And the stop-motion animation for Kong and all of the monsters were done by Willis O'Brien. Which is a common misconception with this film because people think that Harryhausen did this, did the special effects for this film, but he did not. Nope. Harryhausen actually studied under Willis O'Brien, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. He, is that correct? Yep. He studied under okay. Willis O'Brien and uh, he did the stop motion effects for um, Mighty Joe Young with ah. Willis O'Brien's help. So that's, I think that's where the confusion comes from. The plot breakdown for this movie, if anyone is unaware of what King Kong is about, I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> a film crew goes to a tropical island for an exotic location shoot and discovers a colossal ape who takes a shine to their female blonde star. He is then captured and brought back to New York City for public exhibition. So... Getting into our opening thoughts for the movie. What are your opening thoughts about King Kong, the original from 1933? That for a 90-year-old movie, it holds up surprisingly well. Yeah. Um, I think I did. Yeah, it's like 80, 87 years old at this point, if I'm not mistaken. I'm probably doing, I'm, I'm probably failing at my math skills right now, but. Close enough for an almost, uh, okay, here we go for an almost 90 year old movie. It's really well done. I was watching this last night, um, because I think you and I were talking about you and I both, the you and I both know this film pretty well. I think any giant monster fan knows this film probably inside and out at this point. But I wanted to rewatch it because I wanted just a, a quick refresher to see if there was anything that I missed from the last time I viewed it, which was probably, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago. Um, so, but, you know, it's just, you know, other than there was really not a whole lot that I didn't remember from the previous viewing. But I came away with thinking to myself, man, again, for a, for a really old movie, this it holds up really really well and it's it's there's not much else i can say about that except for it's just really solid and really great and i just don't know i i mean i don't know why anyone who's into giant monsters and kaiju or you know that whole genre would not go their entire lifespan and not watch this film yeah well that that's and my opening thoughts for this was plain and simple what is there to say about this movie that hasn't already been said? Well, there's that too. Yeah. I mean, this film has been, uh, you and I were talking about this last night. This film has been overly analyzed to death at this point. Right. Um, everyone has something to say about this movie. Um, but at its core, 
And I think this is what the director intended it to be was just a really good action adventure film to put butts in seats in a theater. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and during a time period when because, uh, you know, this movie came out right during the uh, Great Depression. And yeah. surprisingly, I was doing research on it last night. Surprisingly, the film industry flourished and actually had its highest um, peaks in the Great Depression because uh, people wanted to go to the movies. You know, people people needed the escape. People wanted to mm-hmm. the entertainment. And so yeah. they, they would go to the movies for that. And so I think that if the idea that Miriam C. Cooper had for this film was to give people something that they would never have seen anywhere else in the world and to get them to forget about for sure. the, the world's problems for, for the hour and a half to two hours that this movie is going. He did a, he did a great job with that. Like I said, there, this movie has been covered to death by other podcasts, and I'm sure there are a million other podcasts out there who have done a much better job at covering this um, movie than we are going to do. So I'm not well, trying to cover every detail about this movie. I'm not trying to cover um, necessarily its impact on the film industry and its historic significance, because that's, that is a whole topic all to itself. Um, what oh, I absolutely. will say is uh, that if someone is interested in hearing about that, uh, that there are a few podcasts and other places that I can think of. One example is Up From The Depths, uh, the YouTube channel. He did a mm-hmm. short review of this and really talked about the uh, historic significance and the impact it had on the film industry. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a place you can go and watch. But because I think our dislikes are going to be kind of low on this film... Mm-hmm. Let's let's do dislikes first, and then we'll just sure. finish off with all of our positives. So, what is something uh, in this movie that you didn't enjoy? What's a negative for this film? That's tough because every dislike that I had with it had to be taken in context with the time period this film was made in. Right, um, like some of the like some of the stereotypes and the uh, just some of the stereotypes that were reflected in this movie with um, uh, Charlie, who is the boat's uh, chef who mm-hmm. happens to be of Asian descent. Um, his stereotype was, I think, exaggerated. And I think Stephen and I covered this in our Son of Kong review, mm-hmm. uh, where we couldn't necessarily tell if it was if it was really him or if it was just a, an exaggerated version of him because it was 1933 and that this is how, you know, people viewed Chinese Americans at that time. Uh, we weren't sure. So there's stuff like that. Uh, I will say in that same vein, I will say that I'm really glad that the people playing the Islanders were actually African American and not just people in blackface. I will say that. Um, because that is something that did happen uh, in the 30s uh, up well not just the 30s but on in, but in film in general uh, up until many many years later you know they had other folks of, of other nationalities playing blackface to play African American people and I'm and I'm happy that they chose to not do that at least from what I could tell I will say that I, from what I could tell they weren't doing that um, 
there are some parts of this movie that do lag a little bit. Um, sort of the in-between times where they are, where they are taking Kong from the island and then getting him to New York. There's that little lull of time there that I feel like could have been sped up just a little bit because, you know, this was for a, for a, for a movie made in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. This was a pretty, this was a pretty long movie. This was an hour and 44 minutes. Um, when I looked on Amazon, when I was watching on Amazon, I had to pause it to see how long it actually was. It was an hour and 44 minutes. Yeah. And, and which I feel like, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I feel like that was ex- extremely long for, for the time when this movie was made. Yeah, you're right. It, it, it was a, a kind of long, especially since at the time period, um, when you paid, you would pay like a nickel or a dime or 15 cents. Um, to go to the movies and the way that they were set up is there wasn't a set time that you would go and you know, the movie began at this time and this is what time you had to go in there. You just paid, you go in and it would just be on a loop and they would okay. also include you all, you had an a film and a B film. The B film was usually played first. A film was played second or sometimes it'd be mm-hmm. reversed, but uh, sure. it depended on the, the theater. You also had newsreels and a cartoon. So generally, when you paid 15 cents at most to go to the movies in the 1930s, you got four hours of content that you could sit through if you chose to sit through it. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it is. It is absolutely amazing. In, and that just shows like it, the longer the film was, the less time they had for other stuff like the newsreels and the cartoons and stuff. So, so that's why uh, films didn't weren't super duper long, or if they did, if they did become super duper long, they just didn't have a B film included with it. Um, This film from a historic standpoint is really interesting because this film is less than 10 years, less than 10 years after talking pictures actually were invented and popularized Mm -hmm. this movie comes out. So this movie is like only less than 10 years before uh, they weren't even using sound or, or talking in movies at all. And then here's this movie. And then this one comes along. It's such a huge, huge special effects movie. No other Mm -hmm. movie at the time was ever so focused on special effects. I mean, special effects weren't really, weren't really a thing other than, you know, small effects they may use one or two effects here and there but the fact that they focus so much on special effects in this movie makes it stand out and really shows the impact this movie had on film on the film industry because i mean look at how much special effects there are in movies nowadays and how plenty of movies are driven by the special effects like this one was so i think that's I, i think this one's definitely historic but i'm like you my negatives, the negatives that I have for this film does come from the fact that it was set in the 1930s. It was filmed in the 1930s and there's going to have there. You're going to have that sexism and racism that comes from that time period. Yeah, for sure. Which for sure. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into the idea of cancel culture. Cause that's not, that's not a, that's not something that I like to do. And B that's not something that this podcast is about. But I do think that it's interesting that if we if we wrote off and got rid of everything that had, oh, I want to say, uh, offensive material in it, uh, 
especially when we when we're taken into the context of the, of the past and the attitudes of the past mm-hmm. that this movie wouldn't exist now because right. you know of that and now at the same time that's not excusing the racism and the sexism that's in it but i think that it, you like you said you have to kind of take it into context to the time period and the the impact that this had on our pop culture on the film industry and on history in general, I think outweighs the negatives that are in it. That being said, mm-hmm. I also do have a negative about the love story between Faye Ray's character and um, what's his name? Uh, generic guy. <laughs> oh God. Uh, you would say you, the, his name would escape me for just, yeah, I know. Second. I know he's, he, uh, he's such a famous character. Driscoll. Driscoll. Yeah. Driscoll. Driscoll. Driscoll um, yeah. the love story uh, between the two of them is so weird and so forced. And yeah, it's like, it, it was only there because they needed, uh, they needed it. You know, that's like, that was just like a necessity for films at that time. Uh, and the only thing that's good about it is that it doesn't take up too much of the screen time. No, it doesn't. It's really sort of, uh, I mean, it's, it's a main plot point of the film, but it doesn't take up a whole lot of time. And the, and the movie, uh, one of the good things about it is it moves at sort of a, a really brisk pace where you don't necessarily notice that, uh, you don't necessarily notice that part of the story with Faye and and driscoll so right yeah um, one of the things that um roger ebert said in his review of this movie said the movie plunders every trick in the book to create its mm-hmm. illusions using live action back projection stop motion animation miniatures models matte paintings and sleight of hand it's not only it, uh, it is not stingy with the effects after a half an hour of lumbering dialogue and hammy acting, which is what you talked about kind of how, you know, it kind of lulled there for a little while. Uh, the movie yeah. introduces Kong and rarely cuts away from sequ- sequences requiring one kind of trickery trickery or another. And I think that gets mm-hmm. to like what you were kind of touching on there is that once Kong comes on screen, everything else just becomes secondary. Right. He is, he was the star of the show for sure. Yeah. Uh, that's what people came to, that's what people paid to see in this movie. They, I don't think, cause you have to think about it in 1933 movies like this were not, there weren't a whole lot of them out there. Right. Um, this, I would venture to say this is probably, I mean, this is most likely one of the first like giant monster action adventure films out there. So this was complete. So trying to put myself in the mindset of someone in the 1930s, this would be completely new and interesting to me. Right. Yeah. And, and so knowing that how this movie focused so much on Kong and yeah, there were the other elements in it. Of course you had Carl Denham, um, who was, uh, uh, such a uh, he was such an interesting character. Uh, then you also had you know Fay Ray and all of them in it. But the fact that they just made Kong such a central part that the the movie never really when it did stray away from Kong, it never strayed away for too long. It always went back to him. And so I really like that. I think that's one thing that this movie did better than all of the remakes that have been made since 
this movie came out because every I don't know because Peter Jackson's Kong did a really fantastic job because I I will say that my two favorite Kong movies are this one and the Peter Jackson's Kong because I feel like one Peter Jackson's was the most faithful to the core story of Kong and it added something extra to it where we got like they like um, they attempted to show us that Kong was a simple because Kong is meant to be a sympathetic character. Right. Right. Yeah. Throughout throughout history. They attempted to show us that in this movie with sort of music with some musical cues and some other things like the, the scene that comes to mind was when he was uh, trying to grab Driscoll and, you know, um, uh, it was right after the. uh log attack which i'll get i want to get into in just a minute because there was there, i had a thought there like when he's you know yeah like when he's attacking the other people on the log uh in that scene uh and then that music there's a there's a little slight musical cue that kind of plays i think it's violins or an oboe or something that just makes us that kind of cues you up to think well maybe we should feel sorry for kong in this moment yeah. Uh, well, well. Now I will say this. Now th- this is this was a point I even have it written in the show notes. What yeah. I'm getting at is, and I, and and we might have dissenting, uh, dissenting, whatever, um, ideas right. and, and viewpoints whatever, yeah. on this on the 2005 Kong because uh, I I don't like that movie. But um, we'll have to cover that when we cover that movie in a future episode. But what I'm getting at, what I think is interesting about this movie. To me personally, my opinion mm-hmm. is that the fact that this movie made Kong such a central figure in the in this movie that so much of the screen time is dedicated to uh, him and and everything that he does. Whereas in the remakes, the '76 Kong and uh, the 2005 Kong, I think they spend too much time on the on the human characters. I think they the the balance is not there. They spend too much time developing those human characters instead of spending all that time on Kong, which is what this film did. Now, one thing that right. I think well, some of the remakes th- did well. Hold on one second. One of the things I do think they did well is I do think that the remakes, both the '76 one and the 2005 one, did build up the tragedy of Kong and the relationship between Kong and the female lead in those movies, I think was better in the remakes than in this one. Right. So I do but agree with I'm you saying, on that. Sorry, sorry. What I'm going to what I'm saying is though, in some of the remakes, especially 2005, um, the, you're, you, you are sort of right. I, I think you, I have to go back and look at the actual run, the actual screen time of Kong versus the human characters. And then, compare it to this film but that i've not done that legwork but what i'm going off of is memory when when they do put kong on screen in some of these remakes they at least make it worth it to where you do feel for the creature you do feel for kong especially in 2005 because in 2005 he had more personality there was more um uh, you are more emotionally invested. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I Kong? don't disagree with that. I, that's what I'm saying. I don't disagree with that. I think you're right when it comes to that. I'm just talking about screen time alone. Just the amount of focus that they put on Kong. I think they did more in this movie than they did in the remakes. Whereas in, yes, I do think that the character of Kong was better developed in the remakes. Right. But uh, th- what I'm, what I'm ultimately getting at is, 
the the moments you do see the monster, the moments you do see Kong on screen in some of the remakes, it it's worth it. It, it pays off more than say the screen time in, for the human characters because aside from uh, is it Naomi Watts? Mm-hmm, yeah, uh, it was in that it was in two thousand five. Aside from Naomi Watts and a little bit of Jack Black, I didn't care hardly any about the human characters in two thousand five. Honestly. I cared about the relationship between Naomi Watts playing Fay Ray and King Kong. That's all I cared about in 2005. Yeah. And in, and in 1933, I find myself only caring about Kong really. And maybe a little bit of Fay Ray, but the, I, I find myself caring more about the beast than the beauty. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying. And I think we'll have to discuss more about that when we get to the 2005 one, because I think that's going to be uh, one of the movies that we have a big difference in opinions on, because I, I just know, I know that you enjoy it and I don't enjoy it, but I haven't seen it in a while, so I need to revisit it. But anyway, uh, getting back to the 1933 Kong, though, let's get into our positives. I mean, we already been talking about some positives, but let's, let's talk about some of our positives. Um, about this movie now i i one of my positives is the music i think the music is great it's it, from the very first moments of the movie it's heart pounding and it transports you into the world it just just you just get absorbed into the world that this film is giving you because of the music in it um was oh, there yeah. was there anything else that you wanted to share as far as positives oh as far as positives goes um so it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird positive. Um, but I'll, I'll throw this in there cause I'm not quite sure if it's a positive or a negative. So I'm just going to throw this out there as just a thought. We were talking just a few minutes ago about that, about that iconic scene where, where everyone's on that gigantic tree log and Kong is rocking it back and forth, you know, you know, knocking everybody off and they're all falling into the cavern. In 1933, that is a very gory scene, mm-hmm. and I was almost I was almost surprised that that even was still that that was even in there. Now I always knew it was there, but it but I had like again when I watched this, I had to put myself in the mindset of someone in 1933, and sort of the shock of seeing what looked to be fairly realistic people falling into a cavern. Now, obviously we know today that those are puppets. Those are clay people that are falling into a make-believe into a, uh, into a model, a model cavern. But in 1933, that is a really gory scene, Mm -hmm. honestly. Um, And it was, and it really uh, showcased sort of the brutal, the brutal nature of this Island and the brutal nature of Kong, uh, it made you un- it made you unsympathetic for Kong uh, at that moment. Like I think I don't think we were supposed to be fully sympathetic for him, as opposed to some of the other uh, remakes. Uh, but in this movie, we were supposed to be afraid of Kong. This was meant to be a horror movie, and I think that that um, a horror slash action adventure. This was and that really helped uh, that 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 scene where he's 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 knocking the sailors and the crew members off of that log and they're all falling to their death that really helped that that helped reinforce that i mean oh yeah yeah and and that scene like you said definitely does that you have the scene with the the um brontosaurus um that you know eats some people picks them up throws them around uh kong 
stomps on people like you see him step and crush people underneath his feet you see him pick people up in his mouth there's a scene in new york where he picks a woman up to see if it's fey ray and when he realizes it's not he just throws her down on you know from way up on you know on top of the building down to the ground like this movie for the 1930s is really brutal and it and it does add to kind of like a, a more horror aspect of it. I think that this is supposed to show just like like it, it's supposed to be savage. It's supposed to be savage. Uh, and I, I, I think they did a great job with that. I do have a fun fact about uh, some of that in uh, the fun fact segment. So mm-hmm. but you're totally right. You're totally right. And I think yeah. that even the T-Rex scene. Uh, kind of. Oh, you can't it. really talk about this movie without without that scene. Oh, yeah, because that that scene is <laughs> that scene. I know the word iconic gets overly used when it comes to this movie, but really and truly, that sequel, that scene with with Kong versus the Tyrannosaurus, uh, is iconic. It is, and it's oh, it's yeah. kind of funny because uh, that's how uh, that's how we view that's how scientists are uh, viewed dinosaurs at the time. Whereas it, it's not, the, you'll notice that anyone who watches this film that uh, the T Rex stands more upright mm-hmm. um, instead of kind of crouched over, like and more balanced, like you see now, like what like what we know of today of how a T-Rex stands like in Jurassic park. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like that. It's not like that. And it's just, let me back, let me back up because I got off track just for a hot second. But yes, that scene, it, you cannot talk about this movie without mentioning the Tyron, the, the Tyrannosaurus scene when Kong fights him, the jaw breaking scene, which gets referenced a lot. Mm-hmm. You can't necessarily have a uh you can't have a dinosaur fight between kong and another uh kaiju or a dinosaur without having that jaw-breaking iconic sequence uh we see it in king kong escapes with it replicated with gorosaurus uh i'm sure that there's other um mm-hmm. oh yeah i can't, yeah, remember, it, if it's, yeah, I can't remember if it's in is it in 76? I can't remember uh yes it's in 76 se- um with a a snake uh, a giant okay. snake Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's sort of Kong's signature move that gets, you have to have it in any Kong film. It's in 2005. Um, but yeah, that I, I took that rabbit trail to say, yes, this scene, that scene with the Tyrannosaurus is, is iconic and it really builds up the drama. Uh, again, this is me trying to put my mind in, uh, in the, in that of someone in 1933 watching this for the first time. And I'm legitimately scared for Faye Ray's character at this moment, mm-hmm. because these two behemoths are, are brawling right in front of her. And you know, at any moment they're going to knock that tree over and they do Kong, uh, the T-Rex not, uh, knocks Kong into the tree. And then, uh, Faye Ray falls to the ground and she's trapped there under the log. And you legitimately are afraid for her. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that's something that's really special about that scene, and in a lot of the scenes in this movie, is the fact that they have the human characters right there in the action. Even though you know we know from a technical standpoint that how they did it, or at least have an idea of how they did it, but looking at it and getting absorbed into the world, you feel the intensity of those scenes because you see the human characters right there in front of it. And you know, they're just like in your mind, 
you're saying, oh man, they're just feet away from these two monsters fighting. And so, yeah, that was, it's really great. That's one of the things I think that makes this movie hold up is that it finds a way to pull you into it. And even mm -hmm. though the effects are not as good as modern day effects, it, you're so absorbed in the in the film and, and you're so absorbed in the adventure that you don't even pay attention to, oh, well, that effect kind of looks a little cheesy by today's standards. No, you're just like, oh, my, you know, oh, my goodness, these two monsters are fighting. She needs to move. She needs to run, you know, type thing. Yeah. So yeah, let's let me if you'll allow me just for a hot second, just to throw some negativity lettuce or negativity onions rather <laughs> on top of this positivity sandwich. OK, Um one of my dislikes for this movie, and it's very trivial, I get that, was the amount of time Faye Ray kept, spent screaming. <laughs> it was constant. And it got on it got on my nerves. Like, listen, like, lady, why do you need to scream so much? I get that it's 1933 and you have to play up the horror terror ex aspect of this movie, but come on, like yeah, it got under my it got it got on my nerves. Yeah, it was I'm, a lot. It was a lot. But at the same time, I think Fay Ray is probably the quintessential like Hollywood damsel in distress. I think when you think of damsels in distress in in Hollywood in movies, you think of Fay Ray in King Kong. I don't think there would be any. Uh, I, I I think all of the other damsels in distress in later movies are trying to match the level of intensity that Fay Ray had in this movie <laughs> because she really did. She went for it. She went for it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so I, I, to me, it's a positive, but I definitely can see where, where, yeah, it was, it was kind of annoying. Um, I do want to ask you a question though. Sure. We've talked about a lot of the scenes in this movie mm -hmm. and there's a lot of iconic scenes. Right. So what scene in this movie is your favorite? My favorite. Oh boy. Um, man, because uh, we, we've got scenes. Uh, that, Go ahead. That's difficult because I want, like, I, I I want to pick something that's not your typical scene that you would pull from when you're talking about this movie. Like, I could easily say the battle between Kong and the Tyrannosaurus, or Kong on top of the Empire State Building, or um, uh, Kong. Um, so busting through the 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 wall on right. the island to get to the to get to the crewmates. But I, I think they're iconic for a reason. Like the iconography, they, for they this are film iconic is... for a reason, and and that's why I'm having a really difficult. I'm having a difficult time choosing. So I'm going to kind of go with something a little bit more obscure. Uh, and I'm going to go back to. I'll, I'll just go back to that scene where it was it was right after Kong um, dumped all of the crew members into the va into the cavern, and he's looking for Carl Denham, um, or not Carl Denham, not Carl Denham, um, the other generic guy, the 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 other generic guy who I should know his name, but I but his name is escaping Dristle. me at the moment. Drist Driscoll, there we yeah. go, Jack Driscoll, um, and. I'm going to go back to there and say that that was the moment where you kind of got a little bit of a cue to where we should be sympathetic for Kong because one, the musical cues, um, help there. 
you know, when when uh, Jack is stabbing Kong in the finger with his knife, you know, mm-hmm. um, I I remember that scene as a child. I also remember the scene uh, when they first encountered when they when they encountered their very first dinosaur, the Stegosaurus scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that 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 image is burned into my mind as well. It's really difficult for me to to pick just one. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, re- I can honestly say I do not I do not know which one is my favorite. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get it. There's so many iconic scenes from this movie, and it, it is hard to pick. Um, I think my favorite one is after he's in New York and he's stomping through New York, there's a scene where he uh, attacks an elevated train. And I, I really like that scene. I like how it cuts back and forth between Kong, you know, the miniatures destroying the miniatures and also the people in the train and what they're going through and trying to escape and everything. And it takes me back to being a kid. And I don't know if you ever went to universal studios back in the day. Oh yeah. They had the confrontation uh, ride. And yes, that is what that scene reminds me of. And so it takes me back to being a kid at Universal Studios going on that ride and being attacked by Kong inside of a trolley similar to uh, the train that Kong is destroying in that scene. So, oh, yeah. And there's that scene, too. It just made me think of it like he's literally eating the Islander. He's got the Island guy Mm -hmm. like this, like this giant animatronic Kong puppet has the Island guy in his mouth. And it looked, and I remember that scene vividly as a child thinking, is he, is that guy really getting hurt? Because the way he's positioned, it almost looks like his tooth is coming up through that guy's body. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it was just a super, super, man, like I said, there's just so much that I want to pick from here. But I can't uh, because there, like again, there is so much in this movie, and I and I, it's a really good, and there's a really good reason why we picked this as our American Monster uh, movie month finale, right? Because it is so iconic. Yeah, when you think of American monsters, King Kong is one of the first ones you think of because he is the iconic American monster, and mm. this is obviously the grandfather to so many giant monster films and adventure films and, and really blockbuster big budget special effects, heavy blockbusters. owe everything that they succeed in to King Kong from 1933. Um, So yeah, it definitely there's, there's, this was a good finishing movie to close out American monster month on um now i want to get into some fun facts because i have a few fun facts before we get into our final scores and our final thoughts um so uh we mentioned how talkies had just been invented like less than 10 years earlier um the empire state building in that uh in this movie had only been completed three years before the movie's premiere so less than three years after the Empire State Building is completed, they feature it in this movie and it becomes one of the most iconic scenes in movie history. Mm-hmm. I think that's sure. really I think that's really uh, interesting. Uh, the giant wall that separates the island villagers from from King Kong was uh, a set piece that was originally built as the Temple of Jerusalem for Cecil DeMille's King of Kings from 1927. Oh. Okay. Um, 
let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. So this was a fun one. The 2005 DVD restoration further details the risque liber- uh, liberties of a 1933 pre-code film release uh, f- film release in two scenes. So this movie was very risque for the time period. And this was pre-brain code. I think is how you say it, but the the code the of ethics and the moral code that they imposed upon films uh, that where you I can kind of see that because I was thinking to myself um, uh, last night the the scene when they're up when Kong and Faye are up on the cliff and he keeps and he's stripping away parts of her clothing mm-hmm. right yep. That's that. That's what made me think of that. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that scene, and there's also the scene where uh, she's on the deck, um, and Charlie is sitting there peeling potatoes. Um, uh-huh. Also, when she's on the boat and they're uh, doing the test footage of her with that dress and the material that they use for that dress, um, it's obvious when you're looking at it that Fay Ray was not wearing a bra. And it's very obvious, especially since they've restored it. Now it's at like 4K resolution and like you can really tell. Um, now that decision to not put her in a bra would not have passed in just a few years. Or actually the following year when the, the code was put in where they had to, they couldn't show certain things in films and they mm-hmm. couldn't uh, feature, you know, it's that, that code of ethics that they put in there uh, more, the morality code basically that they put in that's, films. That's interesting. That's interesting because it really, because so this film was ahead of its time in, in more ways than just the special effects then. Oh yeah. Yeah. In, in that pre code era, actually there were a lot of films that did get away with a lot more than what they would just a few years later, uh, you mm-hmm. know, and, and stuff. And, and like you could look at the 1920s, the late twenties and the early thirties, the films that they do there, even in the 1950s and sixties would have been considered risque. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that. That's just because at a certain point they stopped, they, they you know, put that code in place and they couldn't do certain things. Whereas before that, they could get away with a lot more. Um, now, we have talked about it before on the podcast, but the two-legged lizard that creeps up out of the canyon toward Jack Driscoll, uh, mm-hmm. that was, uh, that's really interesting um, because it is the inspiration for the skull crawlers. Yep. And yeah, we've covered, I think we covered that during our Kong Skull Island episode with Sam Perrin, mm-hmm, yep. our friend of the podcast. Yep. Now, what's interesting also about that lizard is that it was actually meant to be a dinosaur called an Atosaurus, an Atosaurus. It's um, hmm, interesting. And it's a reptile from the Triassic period, which actually has four legs. Now, that dinosaur or reptile has four legs um, in real life. But because of the high price of the armatures, uh, RKO cut costs by not having hind legs made for it. So as a result, huh. this particular one has two legs and no hind legs and a more snake-like appearance, which then again, because of budgetary cuts, they actually helped inspire a monster in a later Kong movie. <laughs> so it's interesting. It is interesting. Um, so I do want to get into I, I'll get into it in just a bit, but um, we're going to get into the infamous spider pit scene in just a second but uh there were some scenes that were cut and then later added back into it for re-releases so the ones that were considered too brutal at the time were cut but then added later on 
So you have Kong chewing on the natives on the of the island. Uh, two scenes with Kong squashing one of the natives uh, under his giant foot. The Brontosaurus biting and throwing the men in the water. Kong putting a New Yorker in his mouth and then throwing him down to the ground. A scene where Kong climbs a building, pulls out a sleeping woman with his giant hand, examines her, and then when he finds out it's not Andero, tosses her down to the sidewalk. And then, of course, uh, Fay Ray's clothing being peeled off. All of these were actually censored at different points in time, uh, but then were later restored to the film. Hmm. Well, I mean, I remember, well, obviously, I remember all those scenes as a kid, so obviously. It, yeah, it yeah. Been... By 1971, uh, all of them had been re- restored back to the film. Okay, gotcha. So, yeah, I was I was born in 86, so yeah, I probably watched this movie in the mid into early mid 90s. Yeah. Now, we mentioned how the Great Wall um was actually part of uh Cecil DeMille's uh biblical epic, The King of Kings. Um mm-hmm. but that wall was actually used later on for another uh film called uh The Garden of Allah in 1936 and then was eventually redressed with Civil War era buildings and burned and pulled down to film the burning of Atlanta uh, during the Gone with the Wind, during Gone with the Wind. It's interesting. And I actually knew that before reading the fun facts because I went to a Civil War era um, historic home uh, in Tennessee, uh, and uh, there they had some historic uh, people there, and one of the guys was telling us the fun fact about the that the when you see that scene in gone with the wind where they're burning the atlanta munitions um that that's actually the wall from king kong that was just redressed uh and i actually heard that funny story actually heard that from a guy who was playing uh who was pretending to be ulysses s grant so Ulysses S. Grant. So Ulysses S. Grant told me the fact <laughs> about King Kong's. Uh, <laughs> so if that's not a weird thing there, I don't know what is. Eh, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Now, the most famous or infamous uh, scene that was cut from the film that has never been restored to the film is the spider pit scene. Now, do you know anything about the spider pit scene? I know a little bit of th- I know a little bit about the spider pit scene. I know enough to where uh, it was not that the spider pit scene in the two in Peter Jackson's Kong in two thousand five was not a new concept. Right. Yeah. So the idea uh, and it actually was filmed. It was part of because the, they have they have um, images still images from the that scene. Um, the idea was that when the sailors were thrown off the log, they fell down the uh, ravine and at the bottom of the, of the ravine, there would be a spider pit and these spiders would come out and, and and eat them. Um, Right. There's been a lot of different reasons given to why it was cut. Um, The original uh, directors, uh, the the original director said that what happened was when they, when they left the scene in, uh, during the test uh, test audiences that the test audiences spent the rest of the film talking about that because it just felt too brutal. And so they were too, they became obsessed with that scene, ignored the rest of the film. Uh, so he felt like it just detracted from the overall film. So he cut it out. It was supposedly destroyed, which okay. is unusual because there's so many of these other 
scenes that were cut that were saved, but that one, for some reason, was destroyed. So there, as far as we know, as far as like film historians uh, know, there is no surviving footage from that scene. In fact, for a long time, it was not even thought to be real. It was they thought it was just somebody made it up, but it actually is in the original script. There are storyboards made uh, of that scene, and there are still images from that scene. And uh, there's a, an article that I read all about it that I think is really interesting that I will link in the show notes below. But they do point out that Willis O'Brien later on works on the movie The Black Scorpion. Mm-hmm. And the scene, there's a scene in that movie where the uh, main characters go down into a pit with a bunch of scorpions and spiders that come out and attack them, giant ones that come out and attack them. And sure. if you look at that scene and you compare it to the only surviving still images of of this uh, spider pit scene from King Kong, they look very familiar. So there is a thought that maybe Willis O'Brien just took all of the, the miniatures that he had made for that scene and then it got cut, but he just reused them for the Black Scorpion. I mean, it's possible. It's possible. It's, it's, it's also a shame that that there's no surviving cut of that film. Cause I would, yeah, it probably only lasted maybe a couple, a few minutes, but I would have still liked to have seen that. Yeah. Now Peter Jackson did make his own version of that scene and like the, you know, made it to where it supposedly would look like the original that you could cut into the original King Kong and it would, you know, look like it belonged there. But uh, most people say it just looks kind of out of place. Um, right. But, uh, you know, people have have made versions of it to show what it would have looked like. But as far as the original one, we have no idea. And it's fully possible that it exists somewhere in a closet somewhere that somebody saved as like a souvenir. And just it's been sitting there for 90 years. (laughs) Much I would say much like a lot of these older films that are considered, quote unquote, lost films are probably sitting up in someone's bloom are probably sitting up on the top shelf of someone's broom closet right now uh, that will never see the light of day. Yeah. Yeah. It's possible. It's possible. Um, so yeah, so that's all of the fun facts that I had. I just wanted to, it, I would get so much hate from so many different people. If I didn't mention anything about the spider pit scene, because that is such an infamous thing, uh, in well, like, I know one person that would really hate you for it. Uh, Mr. O'Reilly Carroll. Oh yeah. Uh, because he, I, sh- I told him that we were going to be reviewing this film uh, for Kaiju Weekly this week. And he was super excited. So Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I, I know he loves Kong. So, uh, O'Reilly, if you're listening, uh, I hope we did it justice. Again, this movie has been talked about so much by so many people. It's really hard for us to cover it and be mm-hmm. original. But... Yeah, Hopefully we sure. did our, we did our best. Um, so get yeah, out. We're, Go ahead. No, it's it's fine. Cut this out. Okay. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Um, so let's get into our Godzuki scores. So we like to score our movies out of five Godzukis instead of five stars because we like to embrace the silly side of giant monster movies and. Uh, we like to pay homage to Godzuki, who was Godzilla's nephew from the Hanna-Barbera cartoon, which we reviewed in the last episode. Go check it out if you haven't heard it. Uh, and Episode 40? Yep, episode 40. So, um, Michael, how many 
out of five Godzookies do you give <laughs> King Kong, the original from 1933? I, God, I would feel so terrible if I didn't give this a five out of five. Yeah. I'm going to go. I w- I'm going to go ahead and get, and and look, I don't, f- I try to be pretty objective. I do. Uh, and there's a lot of issues with this film. Don't get me wrong, but I'm going to score this a five out of five simply because of the amount of impact this film has had on giant monster movies and this genre in general, because I would on I can honestly say, or at least I am in my opinion without Kong, we wouldn't have Godzilla and some other giant monsters. This this film paved the way for all of that and all the things that we enjoy. And for that simple reason, it gets a five out of five for me. Yeah. I mean, and not just Godzilla, not just, you know, all the, you know, Gorgo, Gamera, all of those. Not just right. those, but also things like Jaws. Things like right. yeah, Alien, sure. the Alien franchise, the Predator franchise, those movies, we would not have any of those if it wasn't for King Kong. So I totally yeah, I agree would with not you love, I would not love Harryhausen as much as I love Harryhausen if it was not for King Kong. Exactly. Exactly. We wouldn't have any of the Harryhausen films the way that we have them. So, yeah, it's it, there's so much of our fandom that we are a part of that mm-hmm. we owe to this movie. Uh, and mm-hmm, so, sure. yeah. And it sounds really stupid. It sounds really silly to put a film, a movie up on a pedestal like that. But really, if you think about it, this film, not just influenced giant monster films, this film influenced films in general for many, many years mm-hmm. to come because of just some of the, just some of the, uh, like Roger Ebert, was it Roger Ebert mm-hmm. or was it Siskel that said, okay, so ro- like Roger Ebert said, they pulled out all of the tricks of the trade mm-hmm. in this movie to bring, to, to wrap it up in this nice little bow for us. Yeah. Um, and one of the quotes, yeah. one of the quotes of Roger Ebert that I, I didn't include in there was, um, he said, uh, if you ask me what the most influential film in history is, uh, I will, on a good day, I'll tell you it was Citizen Kane. On a bad day, I'll tell you it was King Kong. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like which neither one is a bad answer. No, no, neither. And he and he goes into detail about why he says that. But but uh, it's just funny how he's like, you know, if you it, you know, most people will say Citizen Kane had the biggest influence on cinema. And while Citizen Kane did have a huge influence, I think that I personally am. I agree with Roger Ebert. I think that King Kong has more influence. Um, my uh, I but. At the same time, my Godzuki score is 4.5. And I know, I, I completely agree with you. It almost seems like a disservice not to give it a 5, but I still am bringing in my own personal prejudice of, I just am not as big of a fan of Kong as I am of Godzilla. Um, so, I'm silently judging you. Yeah, right everyone is silently. Everyone's loudly judging me and sending me angry <laughs> tweets. Uh, <laughs> So, but my final thoughts, I'm going to just read it out here because I have it all written down. Um, arguably the most influential movie we have or ever will cover on the podcast. There's two ways to look at this film from a historic point of view and as a modern movie fan. Regarding the historic significance of the movie, its influence on the film industry cannot be overstated. Few movies have had the impact on the industry as well as popular culture. However, 
when looking at this movie in a modern context, does it hold up? My answer is a resounding yes. Despite the cheesy dialogue and the not-so-sensitive portrayal of people of color and women, it is a fun film that can still be watched and enjoyed by modern movie fans. It takes a while for Kong to appear, but when he does, it becomes a non-stop action piece with intense sequences of horror and fantastic special effects. The effects may not have the same majesty they did almost a century ago, but it holds up among the greatest of adventure movies. It feels superfluous to say, but King Kong is a must-watch for any monster movie fan. <laughs> you pulled out superfluous. Yes, I did. I did. That that that. Uh, I, I got all A's in English, <laughs> so I'm using it. What was what was the million dollar word from last week? Oh, uh, um, pastiche. Pastiche. There yeah, we go. This movie there was a go. pastiche. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, so that was our final thoughts and that was our Godzuki score. So we're going to close the book on this original King Kong from 1933. And I'm sure we'll revisit it at some future point because it is too iconic not to revisit. For sure. Um, so let's move into the next segment real quick. And that is the mailbag. What's in the mail today? So, uh, in our mailbag, we had a question on the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, um, which people can go and check out because that is a uh, Facebook group that Michael has started uh, with some friends, and it is now a, what? How many members are we at now? Oh God, uh, I have I don't have it in front of me, but it's like at thirteen hundred and sixty-four. Yeah, it, it, it's, time, we've got we've got a lot of uh, kaiju fans in there, and they're having fun. And so, uh, mm -hmm. and sure. Michael, you guys just celebrated a one year anniversary of starting the group. We sure did. Uh, we sure did. I I I I, uh, I became a part of the kaiju groupie Facebook group uh, not too long before I joined this podcast. So. Uh, that Facebook group and this pod and my time on this podcast is pretty closely tied together. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to be celebrating our one year anniversary of this podcast coming up soon. So stay tuned for that. But we had a question from our resident ecologist, Sam Perrin on that Ooh. Facebook group. And he said, okay. here's a question for you guys, since it's American monster month uh, and there's a lot of Kong floating around. The King Kong mythos has at least contributed to a widespread misconception that gorillas are aggressive primates when in general, they're quite docile. Mm -hmm. Chimpanzees, on the other hand, are murderous a-holes who regularly <laughs> engage in mutilation, infanticide, infanticide, infanticide. Okay, yeah, and cannibalism. Uh, would you mm -hmm. watch a film where the kaiju is instead a large chimpanzee as opposed to a more gorilla-like species? Are chimpanzees too close to humans? Do they, their often comical representations, make them not scary enough? Could it work? So what's your opinion on this? I think it could work. Uh, I don't think, uh, honestly, I don't think it could have worked uh, several, I don't think it could have worked maybe in the same time period as like King Kong or something was made because honestly, the re I, I, I feel like a lot of the reason why people or why filmmakers use a gorilla as 
their blueprint for a giant monster is because gorilla gorillas are more imposing creatures. Right. Uh, you look at them and they are scary. And Sam is right. Everything I've, everything I've read on a gorillas is they're pretty docile and I've seen, and I've interacted with gorillas at the zoo before and they're actually, they're quite friendly. Um, so, so yeah. Um, long story short, I would, definitely watch a movie with chimpanzees because chimpanzees are crazy. They're, um, yeah, they're F they're effing nuts. Let's just say that. Yeah. Uh, they, they are crazy AF. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes, they are. Yeah. I, I associate these, um, like with, uh, Jurassic park. So the, the gorillas are the T-Rex. They're huge. They're imposing. They have a presence to them, but the most mm-hmm. dangerous ones are the small, agile ones. The the mm-hmm. uh, Velociraptors in those movies, and I think chimpanzees mm-hmm. are the more small, a- uh, agile ones. I think that he's right. There is kind of a for a long time we associated chimpanzees and um, what else uh, orangutans with uh, comical stuff because they were in a lot of comedies, but. Mm-hmm. I think that it definitely could work and you could make them scary very easily, especially if you mutated them in some ways to where they're not Mm -hmm. quite right. uh, Or like the way that King Kong is not quite a gorilla. Uh, If you did something Mm -hmm. like that with a chimpanzee. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It would be scary. It would work. I think a good in between area would be a baboon where baboons are friggin' scary too. Oh yeah. Uh, But they're small and they're agile and they're hyper aggressive. Uh, now Sam could be the Sam could be the more authority on that on their on sort of their species and how they interact in their troops and stuff, but I feel like baboons are are just as scary as chimps, if not scarier. At least they look scarier because of the fangs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I'm tell as far as chimps go, any any animal that immediately goes for my face or my testicles first <laughs> when they're going to attack me, that's yeah, that that's that's something I'm not gonna screw with, right? <laughs> oh man, oh man, I <laughs> you pulled it. Nope, nope, never mind. I was just gonna say, <laughs> I was just gonna say you pulled out the tex- testicles, and that didn't. Nope, that didn't sound right. Wait. Um, well, the last time Sam look, the last time Sam was on our show, he did talk about King Kong's uh, private parts. So yeah, well that's that's because yeah the the. The size of Kong. Can you imagine what the... Nope, never mind. Anyway. Uh, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Sam, anyway. you're not even on here. and We're already getting going down that road. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Then that we hope, Hopefully we answered that question. If you want to send us a question, you can do that through our social medias or through kaijuweekly at gmail.com. And you could have it read out and maybe uh, have us uh, go down a side road of talking about kaiju genitals <laughs> for sure for sure <laughs> um so the only other thing to do for this week uh this week's episode is to ask the trivia question that hints to next week's episode so we are closing the book on our american monster month and we're moving into the next month which is going to be space themed so all of almost all of next month's episodes are going to be involving space monsters of some kind so keeping that in mind the trivia question is what monster movie was set partly in italy 
only because Ray Harryhausen wanted to vacation there. Sounds like a good excuse to me. Yeah, he never be- he had never been to Italy, and he couldn't afford to do it. So he's like, you know what? Let's set the movie in Italy so that I'll have to go to Italy. <laughs> All right, and uh, just just as a as a precursor, looking forward to this one. Yeah, I am too. It's been a while since we did a Harryhausen film. Um, we mm-hmm. were doing a bunch of them at, early on, but uh, I'm looking forward to getting back into the Harryhausen filmography. Yeah, since we just celebrated his 100th, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, what would have been his 100th birthday. Um, so yeah, so we just want to say thank you to everyone for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends. Uh, we know that uh, we're not necessarily the most professional podcast out there especially ones dealing with giant monsters but we're glad that you give us the, a shot and give us a listen each week and uh if you want to follow us on twitter we are at kaiju weekly and at kaiju groupie pod that's my me and michael's uh, fa- uh da, 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 da. twitter i almost said facebook <laughs> twitter <laughs> <laughs> i got confused um so all the links to our other social medias are yeah, uh, I don't know why I'm having trouble with this. Let me start over with this. Cut it. Cut it. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. All right. All right. Um, <laughs> we just want to say thank you to everyone for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and family. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Kaiju Weekly and at Kaiju Groupie Pod. That's me and Michael on Twitter. All the links to our social media, as well as for the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, are listed in the description of this episode. You can send questions, comments, or answers to trivia questions to our email, kaijuweekly at gmail.com. A big thank you to Alex, Shijir, and Thorax for supporting us on Patreon. If you want to support us on Patreon, you can do that at patreon.com slash kaijuweeklypod and help us fulfill our dream of going to Blobfest and getting to see the goo, the original Blob goo that's still in its bucket. You are really pushing hard. I'm pushing for this. I want, listen, listeners, I must see the goo. This is three, this is three weeks in a row (laughs) or probably longer. Uh, When when did we do the blob? I don't know. It was three weeks ago. It was the beginning of this month. So, okay. So yeah, three weeks ago, uh, you, Man, you've been harping on you've been harping our listeners on on sending us to Blobfest. I, mean, I want to see uh, the goo. I must see <laughs> the goo. Um, so yeah, uh, so you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash kaijuweeklypod. Yep, and there's one more thing that our listeners can do, Travis, to uh, to help out this podcast and help especially put this podcast in front of their friends and family who also enjoy giant monster movies just as much as we do and just as much as we know they do because if they didn't they wouldn't be listening to this podcast um is by giving us a five-star review on apple podcasts now here's the here here's i'm preface this by saying please give us a five-star review but you can criticize us all you want in the comments just tell us how how great of a job we're doing. Maybe sprinkle in some. Eh, maybe Travis needs to work on his on his not taking so many rabbit trails or uh, work not on my talking so voice. or work on your singing voice or <laughs> or Travis not talking so much and letting and letting Michael shine a little bit more in the episode. Just something like that. Just something you know. 
Um, no pressure. Not telling you what to write, but just saying. Not telling what. Not not telling what. Not telling you the listener because you're an educated listener. We know that because you're listening to this show. Um, we're not trying to tell you what to write, but we are making suggestions to you that if you do give us a five star review, that doesn't mean you can't criticize us. But we just do expect a five star review. And in all seriousness, if you do that, please, um, we will. Put, we will read your comments out on a future episode. And of course, as always, uh, we just appreciate it. And it does help us get in front of other kaiju and tokusatsu fans just like you. Yep. And so to close out this episode, I'm going to say help control the uh, annoying film director population. Have your Carl Denims spayed or neutered. <laughs> Well, if it was a chimpanzee movie, that may be ha- that may happen. Yeah, that may that may they always go for the genitals. <laughs> <laughs> Bye guys. Bye. <laughs>